Welcome back to the 12-Sided Guys. We have Matt as Pine. Hi. Scott as Roos, again. <laughs> That's me. Jordan as Ebby. Salutations. <laughs> we had a revival? <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Sabrina as Nari. Hey there. Uh, and me, Paul, as the guy frantically trying to figure out what is going to happen next. Thanks for coming along with us on this wild ride. If you want some more insight into the Crystal Codex campaign, consider becoming a patron. You can get some juicy deets and behind-the-scenes exclusives, and we can get some snacks or a Papa Murphy's pizza. I'm going to miss that reference. I think it's called spilling the tea now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If you want a simple way to let us know you care, then leave a rating and a review, and especially tell your friends to check us out. They'll thank you for it. Anyway, if you've ever devastated an entire population by causing an earthquake just to find a source of life hidden in a nearby pyramid, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 54. I know that reference. I figured you would. <laughs> I didn't get that one. It's a uh, it's a Easter. It's very hard to find. It's not something you have to do in the game. It's just kind of a random thing you can do. Which game is it? Act Razor. Oh, oh my gosh! I loved that game. Yes, but you had to you had to build up the civilization enough to get to a certain point, and then in this one area and then cause an earthquake and destroy like the whole thing. And everyone has to start rebuilding. Also, you can get a, uh, basically a one up great game. I actually enjoyed the part where you're the angel and you're building the cities a lot more than I did the actual fighting part of the game. When you're the chubby little cherub shooting, shooting your love arrows at all the monsters. Exactly. Welcome back to the city of Tabory, where it all began a year in our campaign ago, but uh, five years ago, for our characters. It is a nice, cool spring morning in the month of fantasy April called Ankeli. And we have in the city of Tabory this big, raucous inn and tavern called the Kagari, where Nari, Pine, and Roos are having breakfast on this nice spring morning. And uh, they have recently reunited together after a long time apart when in through the door walks a very familiar face. Um, so I was I was expecting salutations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that probably would have been the better. I wasn't <laughs> expecting. Um, so <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I guess let me narrate a little bit of perhaps what they see. A, a tall kind of wrapped up Bedouin-y kind of nomad-y person looking very familiar, but definitely a little bit more worn for wear comes in. And there is a kind of strange creature perched on his shoulder. Kind of looks like a small fox or wolf thing. Um, and it has kind of wings that are tucked in. And it's just kind of perched up there. And Ebby's just going to kind of walk in and see if he can spot any familiar faces. Why don't you make a perception check real quick, Ebby? Ooh, I can do that. Ebby rolled a seven. Coming out strong. <laughs> there we go. As you walk into the Kagari, it is uh, as I, I don't. It's been a long time since you guys have been here, but the Kagari 
basically never closes. Uh, it's not the nicest inn or tavern in town, but it is the most, um, they have the most fun here. Uh, as you guys may recall, the barman Angus, uh, he runs the place. He is actually standing behind the bar. And as you come in, you see a table off to the left. And Abby, at the table, you see three familiar faces. You see Nari and Roos and Pine. And with your seven, that's all you see. All right. Pine's in the middle of saying, Angus really needs to get Tedward to perform here. I mean, this is totally the vibe for it. It would really class up the place. I don't know. You keep talking him up. The first time I see him, it better be spectacular. I see him every chance I get. I've seen him probably mm, seven or eight times now. I have t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a groupie, Pine? <laughs> something about his music just right to the soul you know right to the soul <laughs> i love that <laughs> ebby is smiling underneath his wrappings not that his metallic face would show a smile and he kind of whispers to his shoulder he's like there they are amarok let's go introduce ourselves and then he's gonna walk him and be like salutations whoa ebby ebby Ebby, Ebby, Ebby. <laughs> pine. Pine. Pine, 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 pine. <laughs> How long has it been since you guys have seen Ebby? For Pine, it's been four years. For Roos, it's probably been since they split ways after leaving the mountains. Yeah, same with Nari. I don't think we've bumped into each other. Yeah, that has been a while. Upon seeing um, Ebby approach, Pine will get up from the table. Pine, over the past uh, five years, has aged, as people do. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it tends to happen. It yeah, tend but to now, happen. That he's, now that he's a very mature 76 years old, still his hair is, is, is wider, even wider than it was before, and a bit thinner than it was before. His face is a little jowlier than it was before. And he walks a little bit more stooped than he did before. But he's still got this uh, vibrant energy to him. And he, he gets up from the table and embraces Ebby and says, Ebby, it is so good to see you. My dear friend, you look well. It's good to see you too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, what, what brings you to Tabory? Well, actually, it was to find you all. To be truthful, I think I might need some help with something. Ebby kind of looks to his right and to his left, and then he's going to take off his wrap that he usually wears around his face. And when the wrapping comes off, instead of seeing the metallic head of Ebby, you see instead um, a actual like humanoid face this time. Probably in his late 40s to early 50s in terms of what the age looks like. Hair red like Nari's. Caracol ears. And a mustache much like Roos's. <laughs> oh boy. That mustache is pretty handsome on you. Do, do you like it? It is quite fetching, right? <laughs> I have to agree. Nari was like looking at his cute little uh, fuzzy playmate and was more focused on that until he dropped his hood and now she's standing there gape jawed. Pine will look at him and he's like, Abby, it, it looks like we all had a baby together. 
<laughs> I'll poke him in the face. <laughs> um, when it tings like metal still. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, Evie will explain a little bit about it. So I've been through a few things and um, let's just say that in order to fulfill a mission that I have, I've gained this ability to help disguise myself. And well, in trying to come up with a suitable disguise, I borrowed from those that I cared the most about. Oh. So touching, Abby. Did you have to borrow the mustache? I mean, there's lots of other great things about Bruce, but... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at least make the mustache the same color as the head on your head. (laughs) I know a guy that makes these sweater vests, and I mean, if you're interested, I could get you one. (laughs) You know, I'm not opposed to it at all. He's right here in (laughs) Tabry. You're going to give him the card for your sweater vest guy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could go for a nice cozy sweater vest, you know. They do look so nice. They're very comfortable. (laughs) As you guys are all chatting, so uh, Abby already made a perception check. Passive perceptions, I believe, uh, for Roos and Nari. I got to get used to that one. Sorry for switching it up again. No, that's great. I like that. I like what's going on with your character. Pine, you are fresh back from a less than stellar trip to the kingdom of Arkelby, correct? That's correct. And I think that uh, Roos and I were traveling companions back from there, right? Yes, we came back together on the road and we spent some time together in Arkelby. And we saw Nari there too, didn't we? Yeah, I was holed up in in Arkelby and I kind of figured that we would have all met up there and traveled to Tabry together. Okay, yeah. So we've actually been, we've, we've been together. We've traveled again since... Since we got back together, just the, the the couple weeks back here. Oh, so you guys have all been together this whole time? No, not the whole time. And you didn't, I mean, you didn't think about maybe, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, it's fine. I'm fine. Abby, we've been in contact with your people in the undisclosed location. Ah. But they hadn't heard from you either. Yes, well, it's... It's a touch complicated on that. Are they doing well? Oh, yes. In fact, I had something special commissioned for the Illegal Eagle. I think you'll like it. Well, yes, I for sure would love to see it. Uh, Okay, so as you guys are sitting there talking, um, passive perceptions um, for uh, Roos and Nari are high enough. The crowd in Nikagri is a little bit different than you remember from Tabri, uh, from before. And uh, we'll say Nari and Roos and Pine, you guys basically got back into Tabri maybe a day or two ago is all. So you guys haven't been back in town very long either. Um, but you've noticed um, with that passive perception for Nari and Roos that there's a couple of different things going on in Tabri that are are, are unique, are, are new. Um, the first thing you notice is that there has been a man hanging out in the pit, which is kind of the, the market uh, that's down. Um, if you recall, Tabri is basically circular um, with some jagged edges on the side. But there's a smaller portion in the north that's called the upper city. And then there's like this cliff or bluff. And there are these drawbridge like ramps that go down to the lower city, which is bigger. And the pit is kind of this area that is down in the lower city where the majority of, of trade takes place. There's lots of 
I shouldn't say majority, but it's like the where the traveling merchants will hang out, like tents and more um, movable structures uh, where they'll sell their wares. Uh, but you've seen that there is a man in the pit um, who has a little box that he brings out every morning and he stands on it and he starts to preach and uh, prophesy, if you will, um, about inevitability. He is an older man, probably in his 60s or 70s. He wears um, kind of an unkempt, uh, ragged robe. And um, he has been, as you've walked by, you've heard him preaching of inevitability and kind of the, uh, what's we're looking for, the hopelessness of, of life. And that is really pointless to hold on to this because the inevitable will happen. You know, um, kind of that kind of rhetoric. Um, that is one thing that you've noticed. Repent, repent. The world's going to burn. We are all sinners. Not even repent. Not even repent. It's, we just stop. Just stop doing what you're doing. There's no point. There is no point. Um, Iremiel will have his way and the inevitable will take us all. Nihilism. I don't know if anyone has stopped to listen to him at all, but that's the first thing you notice about Tabery. About that guy, Pine will say, I think he's just trying to start an orgy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The other thing you guys have noticed, which actually the reason why I even brought it up is because it's here in the Kagery. You have noticed around town, there has been um, little groups like two here, three there of rough looking men and women armed um you know they are uh kind of ragged is the wrong word they just look tough they wear um like cloaks um with kind of high collars um they seem to be wearing armor under those cloaks and what you have noticed is that they all have a pin uh or a badge of a what looks like a like an embattled tower so like a a slender tower with a the the uh crenellations on the top um and they wear that like on their chest or you've seen a couple people with it like tattooed on their face you even saw one guy with it. It looks like a little metal medallion that looks like it's maybe even like hammered into his skull, like as a piercing type of thing. So um, you've seen a few different groups of these these rough looking uh, fellas uh, walking around town. And here in the Kagri, you actually notice that at a table uh, in the Kagri, uh, just a couple tables away, there's a group of four of them that are chatting um, looking around the room, but they are keeping quiet and talking to themselves. But you've noticed them around as well. I think if you just replace the A with a U, you get rugged. And then I think that's what you're looking for. <laughs> I, you know what? They're gringy. Lots of gringe on them. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great callback. They're rugged. They are rugged. They look, they look tough. They look tough. Um, yeah, Nari had kind of spent the last year or so chasing these kinds of people who were collecting in groups and secret societies. So I think she would definitely try to at least eavesdrop on their conversation and see what she could hear. Uh, Make an insight check then, Nari. Not a perception right now, just an insight. Oh my goodness. Well, I beat Abby uh, with an eight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, these groups seem to be popping up all over the place. A lot of the groups that you've been infiltrating have been a lot more um, secretive um you know just like a family or two meeting together in private you know at night but this uh yeah they're they're there so if you want to try to eavesdrop on what they are saying uh go ahead and make a a perception check let's see what we got here 22 that's better um you hear one of them uh say something to the effect of i'm telling you 
it's pointless. It's not here anymore. And then the other one whispers back and says, no, we need to do our due diligence. We need to turn over every stone. And then after that, if we don't find it, we'll move on. But we have not searched enough. And then food comes out to them and then they kind of quiet up and then they start eating their food. So, Abby, you said there was something that you needed to, you needed our help with. Yes, actually. Um, and Abby's going to kind of take a beat and look around a little bit to just make sure nobody's paying undue attention to the conversation. And then he's in a lowered voice, will kind of lean forward and just say, I think I've been trying to track down what the angel has been up to since last we were with him. And I have an idea, but it's gotten a bit precarious and a bit dangerous for me to go alone. I, I think I'm going to need help. Well, of course, Ebby. I mean, we're all here for you. I appreciate that. Um, and so, anyway, amidst a lot of my journeying and travels, I spent some time back down in Almar, or in the area previously known as Almar. I don't know what it's being called now, but was doing some more research and trying to liberate a few more Ormex if ever I found them. The thought came to me, if you recall, when we were in the midst of that facility up in the mountains, the glass mountains, it sounded like whatever it was, this being the inevitable was down somewhere in the earth. At least that's what it sounded like. And the crystal engine was kind of keeping it bound. Well, I think the tower might be some way of trying to access it. Have you guys heard of the of the tower, of the statue? Oh yeah, the rumor's coming through all the time. I was able to do some exploration of it, and while I didn't get to, you know, dig too deeply into, you know, its function or, or what's going on, I can say this. It seems to extend down to, you know, the surface of the of the earth at the bottom of the bay. And my hunch is that it goes deeper maybe acts as some sort of tunnel trying to get its way to its master. This is all a hunch. I have nothing really to support this. But as I was trying to investigate and learn more and be aware of what's happening with the cult of inevitability throughout the region, somebody started to catch on to what I was doing and they began to make my life a little bit difficult to the point where I had to, to flee. Are they the, the cause of your new face as well? I was using similar disguises at the time. This iteration is a personal favorite, if I must say, so I tried not to use it too much in Almar for risk of spoiling it. Good plan. It does look great on you. I know. Look at this mustache. It's fabulous. It is a pretty nice mustache. Were you able to get into the tower? No, no, just, just around its environs. But there's something about it. If you could be there, Pine, you would see there's it's it's there's something happening out there. The glow from the statue at nighttime is unsettling. There is an evil there. And so just a quick recap for people who are listening, the statue, um, the tower that Ebby's talking about, that Jordan's talking about, is a statue in the bay outside of the city of Almar that a few years ago actually rose up out of the water on its own and it was actually the statue was on top of this tower 
arose hundreds of feet up out of the bay, and every night the eyes would glow. And as you may recall from what we read at the very end of our last episode, the cyclones and the whirlpools, all of that basically happened yesterday. So Ebby would have no knowledge of that at this time. It was getting to be beyond my skills, and I didn't know to whom else I could turn. You came to the right folks. Well, you can always turn to us, Ebby. Last time we got together, Pavanus went to shit, so I don't know that it can get much worse than it did last time. It's uphill from here. (laughs) I appreciate that. You have no idea how much I appreciate that. I've been running it alone for quite a while. Well, no, not a... I didn't mean alone. Don't be like that. You know what I mean. Ebby's now talking to the creature on his shoulder. Yeah, I was going to ask about that that um, fluffy loot new pet you have. <laughs> Ebby just starts laughing at that. <laughs> yes, pet. That's fantastic, Pine. He loves that. Keep calling him a pet. He won't be angry about that at all. Keep him away from Gigi. <laughs> <laughs> I think Gigi's going to be fine. Um, I guess I should introduce you all. This is Amarok. Amarok, say hi. And Amarok does nothing and just keeps looking at you all. <laughs> well, hello there, Amarok. You are a sweetie. Look at how cute you are. All the, mm, those little wings. I could just eat him up. What a distinguished gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him sitting there. Yes. Roos leans over to Nari and quietly says, how long was he alone out there? <laughs> <laughs> Amarok during all of this is going to kind of go behind Ebby's head and kind of nestle into his hood, <laughs> like hide. He's a shy little guy, but affectionate. Um, well, if you could hear what he was saying, or at least what he was thinking, you probably wouldn't think of him as very affectionate. He has a bit of a superiority complex. You see, Amarok was sent to me by Lord Moshe, and no, Amarok, I'm not, it's not important. You don't need to say that. They're kind people. <sighs> anyway, Amarok, who has a bad habit of calling people foolish mortals all the time, he was sent so he could help me complete this mission, if you will, that we're on. He was sent directly from Lord Moshe? Uh, yes, in a, in a sort of in a way of speaking. You see, Amarok is kind of a... He's like a demigod. And this is just an aspect of him. Something small that could materialize to help complete the mission. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Pine in the back of his head thinks that Ebby became a crazy cat lady. <laughs> he's assigning all these personality traits to a really just a cat being a cat. <laughs> That's probably fair. Yeah, that's totally the conclusion that Roos came to as well. <laughs> you know, I was going to make you guys make insight checks, but I, th- I think you guys have already come up with, a, with an idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we never actually heard Neum ourselves. We just heard Ebby talking to Neum. <laughs> so this is no different. <laughs> yeah, I kind of imagine that to the outside, to, to you guys and to anybody else... Ebby really does look very kooky a lot of the time, like talking to himself or talking to things that can't be seen or talking to Porthos or whatever, you know. 
with his multicolored facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as the day goes, I would imagine uh, Pine, since you came back very recently uh, from a diplomatic mission to um, the kingdom of Arkelvi, the which is basically just the city of Arkelvi at this point, you need to report back to uh, the queen of Tabri, uh, and you have not had a chance to do so because uh, her schedule has been so busy. But today is the day that you are going to go and meet with Kira to let her know what you were able to accomplish. All right. Oh, I have an appointment. So I guess after breakfast, I should be tidying myself up and heading up to Tabri Keep. Well, good luck. We can meet back here, or, or, I mean, you all are welcome in the keep. Oh. Maybe we should meet there. Do you want to accompany me? No, no. I'm, I'm fine. (laughs) Well, that was odd. That feels very weirdly (laughs) tense right now. I think I may be the most sane person here in the, in the party. You can't help but think, what happened over these past few years to everybody? <laughs> I, mean, I, had, I had a pretty okay time. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of my time in Arkovi was spent um, in the libraries looking for any kind of information that might help better understand what we can do about inevitability. But I, uh, I kind of came up empty-handed. Lots and lots of hypotheses and scholarly articles about what could be, but not a lot of concrete information. Pine will even say that uh, Pine ended up having like a meal with uh, Librarian Jem at one point uh, in one of these secret libraries there uh, in the Library of Cadriel. And you were able to pick her brain and basically everything that she knew, she wrote down in that book that you've already read and now returned. And now I counter one of my dearest friends. Uh, So Pine has a meeting with Kira, the queen of the kingdom of Tabori. Um, What does everybody else want to do today here? Uh, while you have some free time in Tabri. It feels kind of weird to say that because when we've been in Tabri, there has never been like free time. It's always been uh, very hustled and uh, and stressful. Have they set up like a memorial or anything in the square where they were going to hang Bert? Like a memorial or like a uh, to the to the riot, like where we started to throw off the shackles of the empire? Because if they haven't, that's going to be on Pine's agenda to address with the queen. That's awesome. That is uh that has not happened. No, there is no there is no memorial or anything to commemorate the time when an imperial adjudicator was killed. No, that has not happened. Nari would have because she spent some time in the city uh, during the this break. Um, she would have a, a sort of cell of informants of the fallen rose who she would kind of go visit and kind of see what she could get some inside info on these guys with the towers on their their clothing. Perfect. I think for Ebby, um, he's probably going to go to Artarian's temple um, to spend a little bit of time because um, she's like the dichotomy, whatever you want to call it, the of Moshe, the other aspect of of that duality. Right. And then he's just probably going to kind of observe and get the sense for what things are like in Tapery. Okay. Roos is probably going to find the nicest bottle of wine he can and sit in his rooms and read. <laughs> okay. I imagine that he he took some books with him as well from his time in the libraries, um, specifically anything that he could get his hands on that would have to do with Lady Jaffa. Okay, Lady Jaffa, the the Lady of Luck, the kind of the bad luck or the the balance of 
of luck. If there's good luck, there's got to be bad luck as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, who would like to go first? Shall we roll initiative? Let's roll initiative. Sure. Let's roll initiative. That's a great <laughs> idea. Okay. Pine got a 14. Nari got a 15. Roos got a five. Abby got a 13. All right. Well, then our first, uh, the highest initiative goes to Nari. Nari, you have a cell. Um, you have a couple people here in town that you uh, can interact with that have been gathering information, trying to not just gather information, but also try to infiltrate some of these groups, um, these inevitability cults that even in Tabory have you know sprung up a couple of times. In fact, not in Tabory, but in other towns around here, you've actually lost some of your informants or your your agents as they have infiltrated these groups they actually sometimes they they stop talking to you and you can assume one of two things either they were found out and killed or they they started drinking the kool-aid and they actually bought into the inevitability cult and their dogma it's not necessarily a safe thing to do to be uh trying to infiltrate these groups but you have a couple people here in Tabory uh, that you can go talk to. And one of them is uh, um, actually um, up at the pit. Um, it's a, a merchant up there who sells boots and things like that, a cobbler. Mama could use a new pair of boots. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you head on up to the pit where you see a lot of like tents and uh, you know wooden um, uh, kind of awnings and covers uh, that are covering um, you know people with their with their wares. And you spot the person that you're looking for. Uh, the person you're looking for, uh, she is short, stocky with uh, braided blonde hair. She's looked to be like in her late 30s. And you know her as Nola. Nola the cobbler, uh, who uh, you have been working with now for probably the past, I don't know, six or seven months on and off. Ah, hello. Good, good cobbler. How are my boots coming along? <laughs> She's like, oh, Nari, it's it's great to see you again. Yeah, I've been working on them. You are you have a your special order. It, it takes some time. You have a lot of special uh, special requests. But here, if you hey, come in here, I'll show you what I've been working on. And then she kind of takes you around back behind her little uh, wooden uh, wooden counter, and there's a little curtain where she keeps some of her wares kind of out of sight. And she pulls you back uh, in there to show you her wares. She says, Nari, what? Is there any word? Anything you have found out? Nothing, nothing new. I was hoping, hoping you had some, some better intel specifically about these, these men and, and women in the city, the ones that were the tower. Oh, them, the, the rough looking bunch. They came into town just a couple of, maybe a couple of weeks ago. They've been asking a lot of questions. They, they seem to be digging up some events from the past. They call themselves bailiffs. I, I've never heard of them before, but they keep to themselves. I try not to get too involved, but I don't, I don't think they have anything to do with, with what we're after. I think there's something else. When you say events from the past, do you mean before the shattering or? Yes, they're, they're asking about, they're asking about the empire. They're asking about kind of the last days of, of Tabory before the shattering. They're asking about. They're asking about, she kind of looks around and she goes, they're asking about the hanging. And you would know that when somebody says the hanging, they're talking about the event with Bert, where you guys rescued him from being hung. 
where you rescued him from being hanged. Sorry, he's not a picture. I was kind of <laughs> hoping that they would they would call it the Prince of Thieves like we did. <laughs> <laughs> They've been coming around asking lots of questions of of people about about those times and about that day. They they seem they seem ornery. They seem angry all the time. So I I keep my distance. Well, you're right. That's not exactly what we're looking for, but we definitely should keep an eye on them. Any news on the cult of inevitability? She actually stops and she kind of tilts her head like she's listening. She says, well, you can actually hear him right now. The prophet, they call him. He's over there spouting out his, his dogma right now. And then if you stop and listen, you can actually hear uh, an older male voice uh, calling out things about inevitability like, um, you know, it is pointless to resist and Iramil will have his say and that kind of thing. I'll, I'll ask Nola, is he is he worth trying to talk to? I've talked to him a bit. It, it's when you go to try to talk to him, he just kind of ignores you. He just will keep talking. He'll talk over you. He he's not he's preaching and he doesn't like to be interrupted. But I did find out his name. His name is Mordecai. Um, and he's he's been out here every day for the last, I don't know, week or so. I don't know where he came from. He's not he's not a local from Tabory. Strange. Well, thanks for the information. Um, and I think Nari will kind of go over and casually like look for things in another booth uh, while trying to listen to this guy and see if she can make out anything that he's saying. Yeah, as you walk over to another booth, you can see um, you can see him standing on this little box and he is shouting out things. He keeps mentioning Iramil. He keeps talking about how um, the Empire had it wrong, how the Emperor corrupted the teachings of Iramil. And the true teachings of Iramil are now come to pass. And it is pointless to resist and pointless to try. And the inevitable will have its way and, uh, and that kind of thing. Um, why don't you make a perception check as you are watching this guy? 19. Um, as you're walking through the market here in the pit, you see that there are people who are shopping and you can see a couple of people who they are paying attention to him, but pretending not to. Specifically, you see one kind of middle-aged woman who, um, as she walks by um, a a stand that has uh, some fresh fruit on it. Um, she keeps glancing over at this older man named Mordecai. And um, you see her keep kind of reaching to her belt and touching something at her belt um, and then kind of realizes what she does and she keeps dropping her hand down to her side and then she starts to walk away. Okay, I think um, Nari will kind of wait until he has a pause in his breath and maybe come over and just kind of try to... Be like, hey, Mordecai, um, do you have a moment to speak about your Lord and Savior, Iramil? <laughs> he uh, he looks down at you for a second, then he says, Iramil has come. He is free from his prison. He will bring to pass the inevitable. And he starts going back into his tirade. And then he says, and because nothing we do matters anymore, we should have an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. <laughs> yeah it looks like he's going to ignore you so you can sit and listen to him for a little bit longer uh if you want to but i think what we'll do is we will move on now to mr pine as you hang out there in the pit okay mr pine you are in the kegery i guess getting ready and cleaning up a little bit uh, to go make your report 
Yeah, Pine, you know, Pine doesn't have a house here anymore. So he's just been, you know, living in the Kagery or when he was, um, he was living in the, in the keep itself when he was, uh, the year that he was here kind of as a counselor, uh, before he went off on his ambassadorship. So one thing as well about Pine, he, he kind of wears the same clothes. So he still has that blue top frock coat with the, with the fur collar and things. But it looks like it has been patched expertly. It is now something that he could, you know, wear and be presentable in nicer company. So some of the gold buttons have been put back on. He doesn't have braids or anything on the epaulets or anything, but um, it is a it has been reworked into a, a nicer quality jacket again. Does Pine wear his saber to meet with the queen? Oh, yeah, it's kind of it's part of his uh, official like dignitaries uniform. Does it have like gold braids hanging off the handle now too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's slick. All right. So you leave the Kagri and start heading up towards the castle. As you uh, move through the city, you can see the castle on the north end of the city. Um, as, as you recall, maybe you don't, but five years ago, basically the walls around the city had been rebuilt and had been strengthened, but the castle itself was in the process of being rebuilt by the Imperial, um, the Imperial Magister, uh, and the Imperial agents who were here take, had taken over the city of Tabri. After the shattering, the castle was kind of left alone for a while, but now it has since been totally rebuilt. The towers and the keep and the barracks and the other buildings inside of this castle complex are now patched and, and if not expertly uh, repaired, they are definitely um, better than they were five years ago when you were here uh, before. And you approach the castle. I'll just kind of I'll wander in like just passing uh, any soldiers at gates. Just I belong there. So I'm just going to be walking through. As you walk, uh, walk up through the castle, um, the gates, you can see um, there's a courtyard uh, just past the gates. Uh, if any of you patrons would like to go and see what's going on in Tabor, you can actually go to the wiki and you can see the castle complex. But the castle itself, uh, as you go through the gate, you can see that there are guards on the towers. Uh, up in the uh, at the gatehouse, and then as you go through the gate uh, of the gatehouse, which is open, um, they know who you are. They don't even try to bar your entry. You can see there's a couple of guards just on the inside of the gate, and then you can see there are some other guards who are uh, drilling in the courtyard. Uh, there's like a, a well in the middle of this courtyard, and on the north end of the castle, there is the grand hall, which is kind of where dignitaries meet. There would be like feasts and things there. There is just to the west of it, there is the the tall tower or the tower keep, which is actually a slender building, but that is the keep of the castle where Kira has made her home. And if you guys recall from way back in like episode six, I think that is also where Rolf um, had made his office when he was here in town. He had an office or a, a study there in the tall tower, in the tower keep. And you know, that's probably where Kira is. And as you walk into the courtyard, you actually can see um, there are some servants moving around and you can see actually the steward. It's actually not the steward. It's the butler. It's Beatrice, Beatrice, the butler. She is an older, probably um, 65 year old woman. Um, she dresses very nicely, although her clothes are not like royalty, but they are very nice. They are uh, pressed. They're not wrinkled. They're not dirty. Um, and she has like this blue shawl on as she sees you coming in and she comes over to you and she says, ah, Ambassador Pine, welcome back. Are you ready to make your report to our queen? I am. Thank you very much, Major Domo. 
So Pine has this thing where um, he always referred to uh, her as Major Domo instead of as the butler or like the steward as like a playful thing. Maybe maybe flirting a little bit. Maybe. Ooh, I like that. Uh, she kind of uh, nods to you and then uh, she says, if you'll follow me, I'll take you in to see our queen. Thank you. She takes you up this wooden staircase up into the tower keep. And as you are walking, uh, she makes conversation. She says, so um, how was your trip to Arkovi? Well, I got a lot of bocce in, but that's about it. <laughs> to, to be honest, they see, well, I'll make my report to the queen and then I can share. Unfortunately, it wasn't as fruitful as I'd hoped. It was pretty much what I'd expected, though. She, she says, oh, I, I would have thought it would have been quite fruitful. Um, just last night, uh, an ambassador from Arkovi arrived here. I, I imagine that was part of your doing. Interesting. That is interesting. Then she takes you into the Tower Keep. As you go into the Tower Keep, the Tower Keep is uh, basically its own small little castle. Straight ahead, when you walk in, there is a, a little hall. But she takes you around uh, a hallway around the corner, and she takes you up a spiral staircase to the third floor, because you enter on the second floor. As you go to the third floor, there is a study uh, that attaches then to the queen's bedroom. You have met with Queen Kira in the study on many occasions. The butler, Beatrice, walks up to the door of the study and knocks. And anyone who's paying attention, this is the same study that Rolf had when, when Roos came and flirted with him way back in episode five or six. Uh, Beatrice knocks on the door. You hear a voice say, come in. And then Beatrice opens the door and allows you entry into this study. It's not very large. It's maybe 15 feet by 15 feet lined with bookshelves. There is a big, thick desk in the middle. You can see there's a door off on the eastern wall that leads into um, the queen's bedroom. But behind the desk, you see Queen Kira. You see that she has um, white hair, um, like blonde, so blonde that it's almost white. She has these, uh, on one side of her face, she has this uh, pointed ear uh, like an elf. And then the other side of her face is still a uh, kind of a mass of, of burn scars. Um, she is sitting at the desk. She seems to be writing something up. And then she looks up and she says, ah, Ambassador Pine, welcome back to Tabry. Your Highness. Please spare me the pleasantries. Please have a seat. You must be tired from your journey. Well, actually, no, actually, I'm feeling very energized. But uh, I will take a seat. Thank you. Okay. She says, would you care for something to drink? And then she uh, stands up and you, you can see that she's got a crutch that she uses. So Pine has his cane. Uh, she has a crutch that actually comes all the way up into her armpit. Um, you know that she uses that to get around, but you've also seen her use it in battle. And uh, when she is fighting, it is like a part of her. You have seen her, her use that crutch to great effect uh, when fighting off some soldiers and some deacons. Uh, but she goes over to this little cupboard on the side and she starts uh, pouring uh, some glasses of wine. Well, thank you very much. She sets one down in front of you and then she sits back down at her desk. What do you have to report from King Tenor and the Kingdom of Arkovi? Not very much, sadly. In fact, I was surprised to hear that you've received an ambassador from him. I assumed that that was part of the deal you had struck with King Tenor. Yes, Ambassador Miro. He showed up last night, um, just before just before uh, sunset. That is very interesting. I arrived just a, a, a few hours before that, though. I'm surprised you didn't see each other on the road. Yes, he he came hoping to meet with me. <sighs> to be honest, Tenor didn't meet with me. At least, 
not beyond just the absolute bare minimum formalities to 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 um not spurn an official delegate from a neighboring country. But Tanner really didn't have any wanted no business with Tabery. He sees he sees Tabery as a as a wayward province that should be under his control. Funny that he would say that when we control much more land than he does. Exactly, yes. But you would know, Pine, that he definitely has more people under his authority. Yeah. So really nothing of Arkovi. I used the time there when to try to get to know the city, to try to understand as, as much as I could what his plans were for the area. And I also spent some time learning more about inevitability and what happened five years ago. What it kicked off. And unfortunately, I don't really have any better ideas than I had when I started. Do you think that maybe, maybe what happened, the shattering, maybe that was the inevitable? I don't think so. Because enough has happened since then. If that was the inevitable, then why the towel rising from the bay in, in Almar? You can see her getting uncomfortable as you keep talking. I'm sorry, Your Highness, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm making you uncomfortable. What, what seems to be the issue? I have to move on. I lead these people here in Tabri. I, I can't be worried anymore about something that may happen. If it does, we'll deal with it. But there's enough on my plate now that I can't go seeking out more problems than what I already have. Do, do you understand? I understand completely. And, and might I say that you're doing an amazing job for the people he, here in Tabury. You see her kind of, like, she, she takes a big drink, like she doesn't necessarily believe what you're saying. <laughs> Tabury prospers under your rule. That much is certain. I would be very, very careful with the ambassador. In fact, would it be possible were I or some of my colleagues to be present when you do meet with him? I would, I would appreciate your input, Pine. Who else would you like to, to be here? What, what colleagues do you speak of? Well, you know, Ebby arrived back in town this morning. I actually saw him right before I came. He has some interesting news. I think we can talk about that after, but Ebby's back in town, and as are, um, Roos and Nari. You can see when you say Roos, she kind of frowns, and when you say Nari, she frowns a lot more. Well, maybe Ebby. Maybe just me and Ebby. I appreciate all of their input, so I may have to set my pride aside, but yes, I think... I think I would appreciate some input from, from you and your colleagues. And if you wouldn't mind, next you see Ebby, um, and she pulls out a little piece of paper, and she, not a, I mean, actually it's a big piece of paper, and it's got like this scrawled handwriting on it, and there's a big signature at the bottom and a big seal, and she places it in front of you, and she says, will you tell him that I recently passed this? And as you look at the paper, it is a law making the ownership of deacons illegal in the kingdom of Tabery. I will let him know. Thank you. Does so here a question for you Paul. Does does Kira know about and maybe this is a question for Jordan. Does she know about the the sanctuary for the Ormex that are, you know, like 2 days journey away? That is a great question for Eddie. Yes, indeed. Um do you want me to answer that now? I need to know too. I'm running the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, here, here's what I would say. I think that she is probably aware, but I don't know that there's like, there's not like an official relationship in place with emissaries and direct communication. 
but she's aware that they're that they're out there somewhere. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So then with that in mind, then Pine will say, I think this law is a great first step. Well, I look forward to the time when there can be an open relationship, trade, and uh, collaboration with the free peoples of Alil. She nods her head and she says, well, thank you, Ambassador Pine. I will make sure to let you know when I'm ready to meet with Ambassador Miro, but I am letting him stew for a while. Pine, as you're dismissed, I want you to make a quick perception check. Actually, before I get dismissed, though, I will ask one thing to, as well. Um, I will say, Kira, now that my ambassadorship has ended in Arkelvy, I I would like to request some time away, some some free time to to pursue some other interests. Maybe we could start with with three months as a sabbatical. She her shoulders slump a little bit. You don't even need to make a perception check for that. You can see her sl- shoulders slump a little bit. Um, you know that you have been probably her most trusted advisor over this last year uh, or last two years, um, and she doesn't want to lose you. But she says, "Yeah, I think I I think that that would be okay." I obviously you you have done so much for us, and you're not even from here. So I value your service, and of course, you take all the time you need. Enjoy your retirement. Well, I'm, I'm not saying I'm retiring. It's just there may be some other things coming up that uh, might benefit from my attention. But as far as where I'm from, rest assured, Tabory is more my home now than Menarest can possibly be. W- would she know of your dissatisfaction with Menarest? Yeah, we would have had conversations about that. She nods. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead and make a perception check as you get up to leave this, uh, this study. I rolled a, <laughs> I rolled a six. <laughs> you guys, what's going on? So when we started episode one, you guys could not help but succeed with everything. And now it seems like all these rolls are terrible. Yeah, as you as you leave, you see um, you see uh, Kira go back to work with something at her desk. And you can't quite tell what it is, but she's writing something down. Be sure to not kill Pine for betraying my trust. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ebby, you're going to go to the um, to the Temple of Artarian. Um, Artarian is the lady of nature, and she is the opposite of green and growing things like uh, Moshe is. She is the decay and the kind of the death and decay of natural things, the fertilizer, basically, if you will, um, of the natural world. Um, it's really close to the Kagri, actually. So as you leave the Kagri, you see this large building. And this building is a, a unique building. It has um, kind of a central tower. And then off the sides of it, in kind of this spokes coming off of the of the main tower, there are these kind of greenhouses. The Temple of Artarian is a little bit unique, and basically followers of Artarian, people who are really devoted to her, or people who want to give back after their death, what they do is they will have their bodies um, buried in the temple. And each of these different spokes coming off of this main tower is basically like a morgue. And what happens is, uh, or not a morgue, but like a graveyard. Um, People will be buried after they die in these plots and then their bodies will break down uh, and become part of the soil. And then they will cycle through these different um, these different uh, wings of this temple. And um, every year or two, they will, probably more like three or four years, they will open up one of those wings. And then they will actually allow people to come and take some of that soil to use for their gardening. And it's a way of kind of worshiping Artarian and her life-giving 
um, powers that she gives through the decay and death and breakdown of natural organic matter, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, her, her, her temple is basically a big um, compost bin. It's amazing. <laughs> a human compost bin. It's wonderful. A human, a human compost bin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so yeah. Um, so you approach this temple and you know that you can, you can access the central tower um, and it's all got like these green glass roofs everywhere um, to kind of help you know, break things down faster. Um, but the central tower, um, as you walk in, you can see it is a circular building. In the center of the building, there is this depiction of this woman uh, carved out of uh, stone. It is not like super great craftsmanship, but you get the the impression that it is depicted as a a larger, um, kind of uh, a heftier woman, uh, broad across the shoulders, um, sort of uh, matronly looking um, as she sits on a throne. And um, at her feet, you can actually see carved um, into the statue are these kind of mushrooms. Ebby is in full conversation with Amarok um, while he walks in. And so I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to talk as Amarok, too, for a moment. <laughs> That's great, because I have no idea what Amarok is going to say. <laughs> yeah, no worries. And so these are the ones that killed how many adjudicators and subjugated the angel when he was in his corporeal form and even killed the crystal engine itself that was holding the inevitability at bay. These are the ones that you were talking about. Yes, I was talking about these ones. I know they don't look like much, but, you know, they have it where it counts. The old one has it where it counts, huh? The old one's going to help us save things. This is preposterous, Aralt Kumosha. I hope you know what you're doing. Trust in me, Amarok. We will find a way forward through all of this. I just need to see if I can't commune for a moment. Um, the reason Ebby's going to the temple here is he wants to kind of like just see if he can get a sense for how the balance of things is between Moshe and Lady Artarian. And in particular, he had the impression back when he had his vision experience thing that Lord Moshe was like losing his control, like he was losing grip with uh, sanity almost as things start to kind of spiral down. And so he's hoping that he can just kind of gauge somehow how things stand okay yeah why don't you go ahead and as you sit here and as you ponder there are some benches that you can um sit in here um and and just kind of gaze up at the statue or you can look up through the through the green glass uh roofs of this of this temple um why don't you make either an insight or a religion or a nature check i'll let you pick whichever one of those three you want to want to do let's try an insight check i uh, got a 17 that is good. Um, as you're sitting here gazing up at this depiction of Artarian, um, you have no connection to Artarian, um, but that's okay. As you met Laramie, the Lord of Swords, and you realized that he was not even so much a deity as in like a, a celestial, he was more of a fiend, of a devil, of a demon of some kind. Um, you realize as you're looking at Artarian, you don't know what she actually is, but you appreciate what she represents. And as you ponder uh, Artarian and her role in this world, you get the impression that she's been busy lately dealing with all of the death and destruction. And as you gaze around um, 
as you were walking towards the temple, you couldn't help but notice that, you know, the trees that line some of these streets and some of these uh, little like fruit trees that people have in their backyards are blossoming and, you know, pink buds, um, you know, are, are starting to blossom on a lot of these trees, white petals, life is starting again. And you realize that so much of that is because, you know, there was so much death and decay and breaking down of life. Um, and yet it, continues on and you can see this balance between Moshe and Artarian whether they actually work together or not you can see that their con that their ideals are are still in balance but as you are gazing at this statue of Artarian and thinking about Moshe you can't help but notice or remember or realize I guess that Moshe had a hand in creating the crystal engine uh, you know that from your conversations with Neum over the past, well, I guess not over the past five years, but before that, Neum would talk about communing with Moshe and thanking Moshe for giving this gift. And as you have um, the gift of the crystals, as you have pondered this, you realize that Moshe is not all-knowing. Moshe can't see the future. He is not uh, omnipotent. Uh, he is bound by certain laws and rules um, that maybe a lot of people don't realize. They they think that the deities, that the lords and ladies are are basically these super powerful beings that uh, can't be stopped or hindered. And you realize that just as Laramie was killed by Iramil, um, that Moshe, with all his power and all of his authority, is still susceptible and and he can make mistakes and he can be hurt and he can lose his sanity you don't necessarily gain any more insight into whether or not he is losing his sanity but you do get the distinct impression that he feels slightly responsible for the events that happened five years ago with the crystals and um and the shattering of Pavantis. Not necessarily guilty like he caused it, but he did help to stop it. But he also now is aware that the crystals did not do what they were supposed to. They continued to proliferate and actually gain consciousness. And even though he is the Lord of life, um, that was not his intention. And I think that that jives with kind of the feelings that Ebby had been having, where it's not, it's not an omniscience or an omnipotence or anything like that it's it's more of like an abstraction that he is he is kind of a, a an essence of things more than anything else ebby's just going to kind of speak to amarok and say do you feel it as well there's this perturbation that has been entered into the system as a result of everything that's happened and cycles and balance that's what we need to get back to. We need to get back into a true balance of these things. We'll, we'll figure out a way. And with, with that, Ebby is just going to probably um, start packing up and heading out of the temple. As he leaves, though, he's going to say to Amarok, it might be best if you were to lay low for a little while. And um, with that, Amarok is going to use his invisibility skill and basically just go invisible for kind of the foreseeable future, just so he doesn't attract attention to himself. Now, can Ebby see Amarok? I can sense what he senses 
as long as I'm within one mile of him. Okay. I, I like to think of that as kind of like maybe even a situational kind of. So it's like I'm, I know where he is or kind of what he's experiencing. Okay. Even though I might not be able to see him explicitly. But it says for his invisibility that he turns invisible until he attacks or until the concentration ends. And so in this case, I'm just going to have him indefinitely be concentrating on staying invisible. Ebi packs up and leaves the Temple of Artarian as Roos. Um, Roos, you were going to grab a bottle of wine and go up to your bedroom and start to read? Is that what you were going to do? Yep, yep. Just a relaxing evening, doing some more studies and such. All right. Uh, yeah, you uh, you order a bottle of, of wine from Angus, who says, hi tire tire and he gives you a nice <laughs> bottle of wine. Actually, as you go up to the counter, I want you to make a perception check. Um, all your friends have already left the bar. You are uh, going up to get your bottle of wine. I want you to make a perception check. A 20, a dirty 20. Dirty 20. Um, as you are approaching the bar, you see these these uh, men with the uh, men and women with the with the tower um, pins on their jackets and you know the uh, tattoos and things like that. You can see these four of them. They watch you as you go up to the bar. They're not making any like overt like uh, moves. They're not talking about you, but they all four of them are watching you approach the bar. And as you approach the bar, Angus spots you and he says, "Oh, your highness. I, I mean, uh, I mean, you're you're used to be highness. What can I do you for?" <laughs> No need for formalities. You can just call me Roos. I'm just looking for your nicest bottle of wine. I, I got it right here. And then he uh, he goes back into a back room. I want you to make a quick uh, perception check as he goes in the back room real quick. 16. Um, yeah, as, you, as he opens the door, you can't quite see what's back there. You, he opens the door real quick and closes it. And then he comes back out uh, with this bottle of wine. It looks um, old. It's got a label on it that you can't read. And he says, I've been saving this for a special occasion. I, I feel like I feel like the king should have it. And he hands it to you. Look, I'm not the king anymore. My sister, she was running things behind the scenes anyway. He puts his hand on your shoulder and stops you from talking. And he says, I have not forgotten what you did for Bert five years ago. And I've not forgotten what you've done for Tabory, even if your sister was helping you. I appreciate it. So here, here's your bottle of wine. Well, at least let me pay you for it. Ah, all right. Yeah, that's like five gold right there. Okay. Why don't we share the first drink together and then I'll go retire to my room. Well, I would I would appreciate that. And he pops the cork and pours two glasses. So I'll sit down on one of the bar stools and I'll lean forward towards Angus and I'll say, what's the deal with those guys in the towers? I mean, have you seen that one? He's got a tower like stamped into his forehead. Yeah, they're a they're a rugged lot. I don't want to mess with them. They seem they seem tough. I don't know. Something seems familiar about them. Not them in particular, but I don't know. Something about them just it just doesn't jive well. But they haven't made any mess. They haven't caused any trouble. They just they just have that feeling, you know. They pay for their meals. They don't cause problems when they're in here. People behave, but I'd rather they weren't here. If you know what I mean. Yeah. How many are there in the in? Tabory. I said, oh, I, I've got a few of them staying here. These four and plus, I don't know, three or four more. But I've seen them come in with others. And I don't know, I th- I'd say out of all of them, I've probably counted 20, 25 of them here in town. That's still a lot. Aye, it's a lot. They could cause, they could cause a real problem if they decided to, to do anything. 
Kira and her men, she'll they'll take care of it. They'll keep the peace here. So you don't have to worry about or pardon me, Queen Kira, whatever she's going by these days. They'll take care of you guys. Ah, our lovely queen. Long live the queen. Long live the queen. And he raises his glass. And he cheers you and or you know, tings your glass and takes it takes a sip. Well, thanks, thanks, Angus. And uh, you know, if, if anything's fishy about these guys, you come get me. Me and the guys will we'll see what we can do to help out. All right. I I, I appreciate it. And then he leans over and whispers to you, he's like, let's start a riot. <laughs> <laughs> then he laughs and claps you on the shoulder. <laughs> I'm always down for some fun. <laughs> when did he get a soccer team? Then he could he could <laughs> riot like a true Irishman. <laughs> All right. So then Roos, you go up to your bedroom. Is there anything in particular that you are reading? Roos is he's just really concerned with his place in the world and he doesn't know if he should even do anything if it is inevitable. Like if if it would be pointless to try and stop it, should he even try and stop it? And so he's kind of just grappling with with the absurdity of the situation. Because the way everyone describes it is that it's inevitable and it's going to happen no matter what anything, what anybody does. And so that's why he's concerned. Right. I imagine it's probably confusing too because it's inevitable and so it's going to happen. But you also have these higher powers, these things that are way more powerful than you that are also trying to fight it. Uh, maybe they know something that you don't know or maybe they're just trying to hold on to life as long as they can, just like humanity. Yeah. Yeah. So as you are reading one of these books and you kind of get lost in your own thoughts, um, eventually you kind of come to and you realize that you've got a sword in your hand and you are kind of rubbing the pommel of the sword and just kind of bouncing the blade in your hand. Um, and you find that you probably do that more often than not as of late. Um, you find that you find comfort in having one of these dark red bladed swords in your hand, which remind me, uh, I'm pretty sure they, they've kind of changed their shape over time as you've yes. been with them. What do they look like now? Over the course of the the five years that that Roos has had these swords, they've slowly changed shape into something that he's more comfortable with. So they started out as long swords, and over time, the blade has um, shortened quite a bit. So so they're much more um, closely designed to short swords, but the the tip of the blade has widened a little bit more than the base where it meets the hilt, almost like a a falchion. I might be mispronouncing that sword name. I think it's fal- falchion, almost like a falchion, but the uh, just a very small version of that. I'm going to be fully honest. Always read it as falcon in my mind. Dude, me too. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like I guess now that I'm thinking about it, obviously that wasn't right, but it worked. <laughs> hey, you know what? I used to say I used to say that things were Ari. If things weren't right, I'd say they were Ari. And I was talking with my mom one time, and I said, "Yeah, you know, it's just kind of Ari." And she's like, "What?" I said, "Ari, you know, like things aren't right." And she goes, "You mean awry?" And I thought about it, and I said, "You know what? I do." <laughs> Okay, so Roos, you are in your room reading. Everyone's kind of finishing up what they're doing throughout the day. Um, you all kind of meet back up at the keggery. And it is now, we'll say, uh, a late dinner time. Um, you guys meet back up. You probably are going to eat together, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, is there anything you guys want to do then before, before night falls? 
just have a conversation about how the day went. So, Ebby, how was your visit to the temple of uh, Lady Artarian? Uh, I mean, it was fine. I don't know that I was expecting much from that experience. I think that there's still time. I don't feel like things are wildly out of balance yet, but it's not, we're still not settled, right? There's still something that's about. Anyway, I went there hoping to find some of that, not peace, but at least a confirmation that, you know, we hadn't run out of time yet. And I, I think at least I've got that much, you know, we're, we're still plugging away. I hope that we can make some good progress. That's good. I'm glad that you were able to find some peace there. You know, Pedal always, always found peace um, through her through her worship. She was actually um, very closely tied to uh, Lady Artarian and Lord Moshe. She's actually, she's buried there. Oh, my goodness! I didn't know that, Pine. She was always the more the more believing in our in our relationship. She's the reason why my children had their you know lear- learned of the lords and ladies. Didn't really give it much thought. Balance in all things, even in our relationships, we usually tend to seek out and find those that help to rectify imbalances within ourselves. Uh, I, I'm sure you are better for her. Oh, she was the best parts of me. You know, I believe that. I believe that very much. You're kind of a piece of dirt, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> and now she's a piece of dirt too. Oh, oh, oh. Cut that. That was not good. That's oh. bad. That's bad. Jordan, you set me up for a terrible joke. <laughs> but I, I do have news from my visit with um with her highness, Queen Kira. And as they say as uh, Pine says that he looks very pointedly at Roos and Nari. Nari is very pointedly not looking in your direction. <laughs> Roos is very sloshed from afternoon drinking, and he raises a glass to the queen, and he puts it back down. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Is Roos drunk? I need to know this. Is Roos drunk? Yeah, he's drunk. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Disadvantage on a lot of your checks then. Okay. That's, that's totally fine. <laughs> Apparently, an ambassador came from Arklevy and arrived just after we did. I had no news of them sending an ambassador to Tabery. So anyway, I told I told Kira to be very careful um, in interacting with this man, and I asked her if we could be present in her cha- in the chamber when she meets with him. Nari's gonna kinda have her ears perk up a little bit at this and say that that seems very suspicious. We moved I mean, we moved as quick as anyone can coming coming on our way here. Apparently he arrived last night, but again, it's just, it's odd that we would have no word and not even be prepared to let the queen know to expect someone. So I found it very suspicious, and she values all of our opinions. Yours, Nari, and yours, Roos, and yours, Ebby. Meetings, 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 all day long meetings. I'm so glad I'm not doing that anymore. Well, you're coming to this one. <laughs> Nari will kind of, like, kick Roos a little bit, and she'll be like, if the queen needs us, I think it's the least we can do after being gone for a year. I have no idea what went on between you and and, and Kira. I know that you all both have very complex relationships with her. We can put aside our egos and our pains. This is for the people of Tabri. Did I tell you I arrested her once? (laughs) Yes, you did. Yeah, that was crazy. 
Of course you did. You arrested everybody. You're such a good person at arresting people. Yeah. Yeah, I was good at that. I was good at yes. that. Yes. Good job. Here, have another drink. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and then Pine will reach over to Abby, like lean over to Abby and say, I hope that's water. Man needs to sober up. Oh, yes, absolutely it is. It's vodka. <laughs> I think it's water. It's clear, so it's got to be fine. All right, you guys uh, spend the rest of the evening eating and, and drinking. Do you remember that book of puzzles that we found in the, uh, in the fortress in the Glass Mountains? The Scholar's Notebook. I still have it. Um, I was thinking, since none of us seemed too keen to use it, I mean, who doesn't want to be a little smarter? But I think that maybe we could find a buyer for it. And I'd like to, if we do sell it, I'd like to have the stipulation that once it's used, it gets sent to the Library of Cadriel. I think that's a wonderful idea. Should we need any money, we just need to find a buyer for this. Might be a pretty hard item to just sell it to a merchant. I don't think we'd get a good price for it, but we do have this in our back pocket if we need it when the time comes. Yes, I mean, what's the odds of finding somebody, you know, a merchant that we would keep running into who would dabble in such rare and magical items? I know. You might also sell these wonderful eggs. <laughs> Are you talking about Gerard? Do you remember Gerard? I haven't seen him in five years. I used to see him everywhere, and I haven't seen him in five years. <laughs> it was like the space of two months. We couldn't go a day without seeing him. Gerard. Gerard. Right, right. So he had like this giant, uh, what was it? Like um, a big oh, pony. Oh, you mean Porthos. Yeah, like a pony or something, right? <laughs> was that the fellow's name? I totally forgot, but Porthos. What a wonderful chap, you know? We talked all the time. He had quite the affinity for your Elaton. Crumbles, yes. Is uh is Crumbles seeing anybody? Abby, <laughs> <laughs> are you drunk too? <laughs> Not for me, for Porthos. Uh, you have to it. look out, bro code, you know. There you go. Well, there's also Feathers McGraw. I think is probably here in town as well. Yes, Feathers McGraw is here as well. Oh, that that poor penguin sweating in spring <laughs> weather out, out of the mountains. Uh, Feathers McGraw is pretty well trained, and actually, Feathers McGraw will go take uh, dips in the Long River here uh, on the south end of town uh, to keep cool. Feathers McGraw, he's he's got it covered. He's been my trusty steed for almost five years now. I totally thought you were going to say Feathers McGraw. You know, he's he's got it going on. <laughs> I mean that too. <laughs> well, you can ask him, Crummy. You know, Crumbles is just he's somewhere in the woods, but I'm I can call him if we need him. Oh, no need to bother him. I was just fondly remembering a conversation I had with Porthos out in a field one day. Well, if we do run into Gerard, which, I don't know, maybe he didn't even survive. Who knows? But uh, if we do run into him, might see what we can get for this book. Capital idea. I think it's a wonderful thought. You guys have a nice evening of catching up and drinking and eating some good food. Um... Uh, you know, singing some songs, that kind of thing. And then you all retire to your rooms here in the Kagery. I picture us all drunk with our arms around each other singing, It's my party. <laughs> 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 oh, for sure. That is perfect. All right. As you guys all retire into your drunken slumber, um, we'll say Nari. As you are laying in your bed, 
I don't know how drunk you got, but you're kind of coming out of it. You know, you're, 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 you're asleep, but you can feel kind of the alcohol wearing off. Suddenly, you can feel something in your, in your mind. It's very familiar, but you haven't felt this for a long time. You hear a voice, and the voice says, Nari, help! And then cuts off. It was Kira's voice. And it was ascending from your cell stone, which you have not used for a very long time. She used to call me on my cell phone. Nari, you wake up after having getting, gotten that message. You look at your cell stone um, that as actually it's kind of right by you. Um, you got that message and the message was from Hira calling for help. And that is where we're going to end for tonight. All right, you guys. Well, hey, welcome to Disc 2. Uh, a lot happened in this episode here in Tabory, and looks like something exciting is waiting in the wings. Anyway, thanks for playing. Everyone out there in the ether, thank you for listening. We uh, are glad that you're here and coming along with us on this adventure. Again, if you like what we're doing, go leave a review, rate us, or you know, just tell a friend. We're grateful for our listeners out in the ether and in the real world, too. <laughs> yes, all you in the real world, thank you as well. Thank you, tangible people. <laughs> all right. Well, until we get together next time, I hope you have a great time. <laughs>